filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So good on the the ultras uh, for the Prince tribute this weekend at RFK. That was it was understated, which Prince rarely was, um, but but it was really good. I thought. Yeah, and on, on completely short notice, uh, when they've got some other things going on um, yeah. that are maybe in, in the front of their mind, not just Tifo for that game, but also uh, their ongoing dispute with the team. So. Um, the fact that they had the time to put something together uh, and something appropriate was was pretty cool. Um, I was extremely bummed out on uh, Thursday and Friday because, I mean, I woke up on my birthday thinking it was going to be a pleasant day. And the first thing I found out was that Prince had died, uh, which is pretty terrible. I mean, completely irreplaceable. So um, it has been cool to see um, all the stuff. I mean, first off, out, like the ver- Go ahead. First off, way to make it about you. That's very good podcasting. <laughs> people, people are listening to this podcast for one, at least one third my opinions. Um, so you know, take that, uh, <laughs> take that, Prince. I guess uh, even though uh, this is about how bummed out I was that he is gone. Um, yeah, uh, it's been pretty cool seeing some of the stuff that's come out uh, since then. But I mean. Uh, you know, there's just there's no I mean, the song Nothing Compares to You that he wrote and made Sinead O'Connor a star uh, because he was able to. And there was a stretch of time where he could have made any of the three of us a star. Um, and Ben, I don't know about your singing voice, Adam. I think I think you've got, you know, the ability to carry a tune at the very least. Um, I think that's you're about the kind as of person far as it goes. Yeah, you could go to karaoke and sing a song and you wouldn't have to put on a performance, a physical performance to entertain people. You could sing I would the not song have to Kanye. That's correct. Right. Uh, I know from from my experience that it's not happening song wise for me. So the the physical performance side had better be good. And it is. I can guarantee you that you would be entertained. It, the song, the singing won't be good, but I'll get the words right in the right pattern. It's the it rest of like, it. that Jason, you, it sounds like you're trying to set up a filibuster karaoke night, which uh, I'm on totally the, on board with. Don't get me wrong. I think it's very important to uh, limber up, warm up correctly uh, and uh know that if you if you sing karaoke and you can't actually sing if you don't break a sweat you've just failed everyone uh is what i'm saying um that's so one of one we, of my karaoke rules when we have a a black and red united slash filibuster karaoke night jason will be enforcing that rule possibly by enforcing shots on people who break it i'm not going uh, to i'm not going to enforce the rule so much as i just want you to know that if you fail the entire room you have to live with that um, because if you're going to get up there and sing a song, you've kind of taken the responsibility to put on some sort of show. That's really passive aggressive hosting, Jason. You're a host of this karaoke night and you're just going to sit there and say, you know what you did. Yeah, well, people have to be guilty about things. They have to work it out on their own time. If I spend the whole hey, night hey, guilting people, I'm not going to have time to actually do the song myself and show people how it's done. That's I suppose that's true. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United and Catholic Guilt podcast. I'm your host, Adam Taylor, joined as always by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We are all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United um, in somewhat happier terms this week. Uh, we also have Washington Spirit and Richmond Kickers coverage. We have U.S. National Teams coverage and lots more. Tonight, we are talking all DC United all the time. They won three to nothing this weekend against the New England Revolution. We're going to talk about that, and we are going to bring in our old friend Sean Spence from Hot Time in Old Town to preview DC United's trip to Illinois this coming weekend to face the Chicago Fire. That'll be five o'clock Saturday on ABC Seven or your local Sinclair station and MLS Live. You like how I included you there, Ben? I included you in that one. Thanks. You're very welcome. Before we do anything, though, I have to ask Ben. Because he's over there being quiet. What are you drinking? 
Uh, I'm drinking a repeat, something I've had before, but it's so delicious. I can't help myself. I know. Uh, I'm drinking uh, Hardywood's Cream Ale. It's a very summery beer. I enjoy a good cream ale. Uh, They're light. They're pleasant. I want summer to be here. Come on. Uh, Yeah. Nice. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, well, before we, before that, I'd just like to note that uh, the last time I saw some drinking a cream ale, it was in the parking lot at Lot 8, and it, there was a shotgunning uh, event going on, and one person, in a show of strength, uh, refused the National Bohemian shotgun and shotgunned Genesee cream ale, um, oh which is So to get even lower ABV. Yes, but also, it's just hard to get down. Um, yeah. Harder than a thin, yeah. thin beer like that. But anyway... Uh, I have Oliver Brewing Company's uh, Creator Destroyer, um, which is an espresso brown ale. The The reason it's called – well, the reason it's called Destroyer anyway is it the espresso it's been made with is Destroyer Espresso, which is a roast from Ceremony Coffee uh, here in – well, I'm not technically in Annapolis, but close enough. Um, they're in Annapolis. Uh, they actually roast like literally within sight of where I played high school soccer. Um, and they are an amazing place to get coffee. If you're ever in Annapolis, make sure you get some coffee from them. And if you work for ceremony and you hear this, please, uh, hit us up on our filibuster podcast at gmail.com to sponsor us. And I will talk about your coffee more than this. Beer's good. Also, go ahead. Excellent. Um, we, uh, I'm drinking, uh, wild Turkey 81. It's, uh, it's an interesting whiskey. It's surprisingly flavorful for a relatively budget bottle. Um, it's it, it's got a lot of rye content, or rye content, and it's a uh, nowhere near as hot as their their higher proof stuff. But they char it in an extra well done charred barrel and um, put it at eighty one proof, which is a little bit of a gimmick, but it's surprisingly sippable. Um, decent bourbon whiskey so that's what i'm drinking tonight i'm surprised that wild turkey makes a product that is not just like i'm drinking this to get hammered mostly exactly i mean this is yeah i associate wild turkey with angrily taking shots at a bar but this is not standard wild turkey this is not standard wild turkey actually i don't think i don't i don't think of wild turkey as angry shots i think of it as stealing your uncle's bottle Okay, that's another uh, from his good liquor one. cabinet with your cousins <laughs> and and going out back. That's that's my association with wild turkey. Wild turkey for shots or for stealing? <laughs> that's it. That's good marketing right there. That's good yeah, copy. Wild turkey should hit us up too. <laughs> DC United got their second win of 2016 this weekend with a three nothing dismantling. Of the New England Revolutions, a first half penalty kick by Lamar Nagel, won by Marcelo Sarvas, set the stage for second half goals from Luciano Acosta and Alvaro Sabarillo. Um, ben, what a freaking goal by Lucho. That that second I mean, goal, that chip from 25 yards, it was, it was gorgeous. Yeah, it was a beautiful goal. It was exactly what uh, United needed at that moment because... The beginning of the second half wasn't uh, terribly exciting soccer, and they needed a second goal to put, really put that game away and calm everybody down. And just the comparisons to, uh, what was it, Diaz Arce's uh, 1996 goal? Yeah, the first goal in club history. Yeah, just the, the comparisons to that that DC United put together a nice little uh, side-by-side video of. and the oh, I haven't seen the side-by-side video. I know Dave Johnson, he referenced yeah. that goal in his call 10 seconds yeah. after the goal yeah. happened. It was a great bit of situational awareness by Dave for that. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then the team put together a nice little tweet that had both goals side by side, but just the goal in of itself in that moment for this team, this season was a relief and vitally necessary. And that just adds on to its aesthetic beauty overall. Yeah. And, and it was big for Acosta too, who, said that he yep. could have he could use that kind of confidence um which is a little surprising considering some of the stuff he tries and manages to pull off but i guess most of that is close control this is the first real good attempt at goal he's had this year so 
confidence is good for him. He was also saying the right things after the game. He was asked about not starting, and he said, listen, that's on the coaches, and I respect whatever their decision is. Of course, I want to be on the field, but that's their decision, which is the right answer. Um, can, he might we, get on the – Oh, can we, can we just note that his, his chip is the better of the two? Uh, I know yeah. there's a big push for Giovanni Dos Santos's chip, which was also an excellent goal. I think the difference is that Acosta set meant to Gonsalve. do it. Well, well, no, no, they both meant to do it. Uh, I think he had a narrower window to shoot at. Um, Shuttleworth got was closer to getting to that ball than Ramondo was to Dos Santos's uh, shot. But also Acosta set uh, Gonsalves up before that. Like it wasn't just the shot. It was the the little mm-hmm. step to freeze Gonsalves in position. So he didn't know what to do, which gave him the room to take his first touch, which gave him the room to make the chip. It was the whole thing. It wasn't just the shot. Um, so if you're, if, if you're looking at, I mean, if you're listening to this, you should vote goal of the week for him anyway. Um, but let's not let LA steal this. And let's also not let, uh, whatever garbage goal San Jose is going to use their, uh, uh, robot voting system to vote for this week. Cause they've done it the last two, um, Frickin Silicon and, Valley. And they're, vo- they're, they're not even voting for good goals. It's just the goal that San Jose scored. Um, so like Wando scores a penalty kick and I guess that'll be goal of the week this week. Cause democracy, um, I don't know. <laughs> we need a benign uh, dictator for goal of the week is what I'm saying. Clearly because the, we end the, up with too many, we end up with too many garbage goals because it's, you know, we can all agree that the expanded field with the brackets is really bad, right? No matter what else happens, they need to get rid of that. I, yeah. I, I mean, the part of that is because you have to vote in two stages. So people forget. Three stages, um, like there, there oh, yeah, are eight yeah, goals, true, and then it goes down to four, yeah. and then it goes down to two, right? But, um, and you vote your one time, and I'm I'm already thinking like I should really make sure I vote for this one. If I'm gonna vote for a goal, it's gonna be for this one, right? And the the trick is remembering to vote three different times, right? Anyway, um, Acosta might actually be starting next week because. Fabiana Spindola seems to be injured. He could be out two to four weeks. He uh, injured his hamstring doing what Fabi's done a lot of this year, taking an incredibly ill-advised long-range shot. And this one was from closer to midfield than it was the box. And it was a first-time attempt. And Nick DeLeon got a key pass out of it. But it was still a really dumb thing for Fabi to do. And he did it so Hooray, hard. MLS stats. Yeah. He did it so hard, this dumb thing, that he broke himself. Um, which is kind of the story of Fabi's negatives. He's got a lot of positives, but this was his negatives writ small. Um, so he's going to be out for a little while, um, probably at least this game against Chicago coming up. Ben, is it wrong that I'm feeling less devastated about that right now than I would have two weeks ago, three weeks ago? No, of course it's not wrong. Fabi's been... Not the Fabi that we've seen the past couple of years so far this season. Uh, he's been taking all of those long-range shots that haven't uh, come off this year. And, I mean, let's be honest, he and Acosta haven't worked out uh, well together so far this season. And maybe it gets him and Saborio on the field together, and we can see how that works out. So it's... I mean, yes, it's always bad when a player goes down injured, but in this case, it's tempered. Yeah, I'm not saying this is exactly. It's not a good thing that Fabi got hurt, but it is less bad no. for the team than it would yes. have been had Fabi been playing. Uh, like we know that he can, but seems to choose not to, or seems to make decisions that lead to him not playing as well. And now we have Acosta to potentially start, or Saborio, or some combination of one of them and Rolf. So it, at least there are choices and, and decent choices at that. At the other end of the field, the defense stepped up in this game, getting a clean sheet against New England, who has always seemed to score a goal against United when they play well, and they didn't play badly in this one, I didn't think. Um, the Revs can play really bad, and they did the first time we played them this year. But in this game, they got the ball. They, they played their game. They got the ball into the final third and pinged it around and tried to set up a cross from the left, which is, which is what they do. And it didn't work. We had Birnbaum making good tackles. We had Boswell winning aerials. Jason, what did you make of the back line's performance? Uh, I thought they did pretty well overall, um, especially since for the first 
10 to 15 minutes, the front six were not really able to do much of anything to stem the tide. Um, New England was completely in control of the game early. And I think it overall, I think an overall point we need to remember with this one is everyone should keep their feet on the ground after this game because New England really could have taken an early lead. I mean, they hit the crossbar. Um, could have been a two zero lead. They, yeah, they missed before the cry. It didn't even make the highlight reel, but they missed. I think it was in the third minute. They had a, a bad miss that should probably should have been a goal. Um, Christian so, Kofi had a bad miss in front of goal. Right. So you know, early in the game, United's defense was having to defend a ton, and it wasn't really on the back four. It was what was going on in front of them. They just weren't getting any help um, possession wise. They weren't getting much help defensively. I think New England had a good a really good start to the game tactically as well as their intensity in their play. Um, United overall as a group came into it um, over the next 10 minutes, but I think the game kind of turned when Chris Tierney got hurt. Um, the Revs were really mm-hmm. using him a lot, and when he went down, they were not they were not prepared in any way, shape, or form for it. Um, and from there, United really made sure that, that with that option off the board that the revs just couldn't do much. If you look at their shot chart, it looks like some of the shot charts we've complained about for uh, United, where it's all shots from long range that are contested or are bad idea shots. Um, a lot of their shots, especially chasing the game at one, nothing were from 20, 25 yards. There were a few block shots. There were a lot of misses. We had um, a lot of blocks in this game more than usual. Yeah. I felt like, um, and, and Steve Birnbaum deserves some credit there. Um, especially early, um, when United was backs to the wall and they needed emergency defending, he came up with, I think, at least two really big blocks um, mm-hmm. during that stretch of the game where it was all all New England. Um, so and and Bobby Boswell played much better than he has been in the last few weeks. This was a, a bounce back game for him. And that's I'm still I think it's a, no, knowing that he listened to our complaints <laughs> on filibuster last week yes. and stepped up his game. I will still continue to say yeah. that we should consider benching him. Um, You're and welcome, that he, DC he may be fans. past it. Yes, we, this is clearly our words prodded him to as play as better. all good podcasters do. This might be a theme tonight. As all good pastors <laughs> or podcasters do, we are making this pastors? about ourselves. Yes, oh. all good pastors do it too. They make it about themselves and claim oh. credit for soccer players' successes. That is what pastors and podcasters do. But but for Boswell, it really, to his credit, he's playing against a team that really is designed to sort of exploit a lot of the things that he's not good at. Um, it's a, a team full of fast players, very mobile players. They like to play on the ground. Uh, they like to cut through the lines rather than play in the air and involve themselves physically in challenges with, with center backs. Um, this is the kind of team that would, would, generally speaking, look at a slow center back and say, this is just who we want to match up against. And instead, Boswell delivered a pretty good performance in a game where, for for a, a significant chunk, he had to, um, where where the team really needed it. I think all four defenders played pretty well. Maybe Franklin was the worst of the group, but he was still. Uh, I don't really have any complaints, uh, big complaints about how he played. Um, so that yeah, the whole group was solid, and they restricted New England to a lot of rash shots, um, especially with the amount of time Lee Wynn had on the ball in the first half um, mm-hmm. to keep them from getting in behind is a, is a pretty, it's a pretty tough task to ask because he's so creative. Um, he's so good at slotting people in, but also beating people on the dribble to get in himself. Um, so the fact that they held on, I mean, they had the weather quite a storm at the beginning, but that wasn't on the storm didn't happen because they were making mistakes. It was happening in front of them and they were just cleaning up a mess um, so overall it's, it's the kind of performance that this team probably needed. Um, I think they needed to get a shutout against a team that wasn't just in deep trouble. Like Vancouver, when Vancouver showed up, they getting a shutout against them was like, yeah, great. Good job. Um, the, the white caps were a mess. The Revs came out and looked <laughs> good at the start and United managed to hold them off. So, uh, you know, full credit, full credit to the back four. I think they were actually more of the story in this one than the attack. Yeah, which is impressive when you score three goals. And I, I do want to talk about those other two goals while we're while we're going. Uh, the first one was a penalty won by Marcelo Sarvas that Lamar Nagel put away. And I, I don't need to talk about the mechanics of the penalty kick, but I want to talk about that call because a lot of people thought it was pretty soft. I thought it was a smart play by Sarvas. He was looking for the penalty and the defender lunged in clumsily and Sarvas made sure he tripped over that foot. 
And you can say he was looking for it, but it wasn't a dive. There was contact, well, and he made the most of it and won the penalty. It was and, it, anywhere else on the field. It's a foul, so it's a foul in the box, and and he won it. And Whether I, he was I've looking always, for it or not, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I've always found that argument confusing. The, oh, he was looking for a foul. Like, players do that all the time. Players of, of all stripes all across the world if they Davey don't Arno have... was the master at that, and that's something yeah. else, is Marcelo Sarvas has learned the ways of Davy Arno in a fantastic way from uh he hasn't I mean, learned how to not get a yellow card for descent yet no. which Davey well, Arno I, could, yeah he could do anything and not get a yellow card for descent sometimes but um, he, yeah. he's uh, learned a lot from Arno it seems like which is neat to see a player well, I mean I think he knew a lot of, of these of things Marcelo. yeah um given that he is uh like I think less than a calendar year uh younger than Arno yeah, exactly so, he's he's a veteran um, player and he's coming in and changing his game and and doing yeah, really that, well with it. But, I, you know, I every player across the world, when you don't have another, if you're in a situation where you don't have another solution to the problem, getting a foul is just like you see guys go to the corner and then they win a corner kick or they win a throw in. Um, it's the same thing. It's the same. To me, those are all in the same category. And it's not Marcelo Sarvas isn't some uh, cheating player by looking for a foul. He got fouled. I mean, just because he looked for the foul doesn't mean he was not fouled. He uh, made. He, we should got the guy to foul him. He said, "You know right. what? You want to yeah. do right now?" He did like now, a little Jedi mind trick. You I want do, to foul me now. I, I will say that from the stands, from the loud side, my first reaction was that there was minor contact, and Sarvas left his legs and threw himself at the ground, and then it, it was a dive. Um, but that's from the stands without a replay. Um, with a replay on a computer, which is a sharper view than, you know, I don't know, 75 yards away. Um, you could see that it's a foul. I mean, I don't know, uh, why you would go in so hard, especially when you're looking at players not known for dribbling. Uh, it's two, it's two defenders on one attacker who doesn't have a passing option at that point. Sarvas did really well to get himself into the box to make sure that if he was fouled, he got a penalty. Um, which everyone should do. If you're on the edge of the box, you have a responsibility to get in there and make If the guy's going to tackle you, so be it. Make sure he's tackling you inside that line instead of outside. Um, but Sarvas did it. He, he changed the game at a moment that United really needed it. It's worth pointing out where that foul happened, which is down New England's left where Chris Tierney had been. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe Tierney is a little smarter about his tackle and doesn't make the contact that Watson does because Watson's a more physical player um, in general. He's a little more of a, an aggressive player. Um, and that was, I think, you know, as much as I said the turning point in the game was Tierney's coming off, I think United still – I think that took the win out of the sales for New England, but I think United still needed something good to fall their way going the other way. And that was – it was very needed. It was also – huge to see someone convert a penalty kick yes Um, that was really nice so maybe we should we're not going to but maybe we should talk about the mechanics of lamar nagel's penalty kick because it actually went in right Um, and it was a really good penalty like where he put that ball was not getting saved yeah Um, even if shuttleworth had guessed right that he probably wasn't getting it was but his weird run-up did the corner with with power right his weird run-up may have been part of the the problem for shuttleworth because I, you're you're expecting a certain kind of run up. There's there's not too much variation, and for Nagel to be almost straight onto the ball, um, doesn't it really? The way Nagel did that didn't give Shuttleworth much time to guess what was going to happen. Um, and he also had to look at like, wait, you're running straight at the ball. What is this? Um, are you just going to like smash the ball as hard as you can and hope for the best? Um, I mean, that's a viable penalty strategy at this point. I I had a friend. <laughs> I had a friend who would literally, when we were 12 or 13, he would get mm-hmm. in a straight line with the ball, run up, and there were a couple times where he tried to tow the ball yeah, I was gonna uh, say, did he because of the thing? variable of that, and we were like, all right, half of these in practice you're putting wide, so don't do that. Um, but no, he would run up and just blast the ball as hard as he could and just try and make sure it was on frame because 12-year-old goalkeepers don't have the strength to, like a hard shot, it's getting through mm-hmm. their hands anyway. Um, yeah. It's not something I endorse, uh, and I've taken, because I don't score goals otherwise, I've taken a lot of penalties. But overall, the object when you take a penalty kick should be to score. And the rest of it, the aesthetics of your run-up and all that, none of it matters. Um, A good penalty is a penalty that goes in. A bad penalty is the one that does not go in. Uh, The other goal in this game came from Alvaro Sabarillo, who, for some reason, this goal was not on 
Brian Dunseth's um, instant replay segment this week. I think it's because his he got crowded out. Is why. Yeah, there were a lot. There were. Thank you. Yeah, thank Dunseth, you, MLS referees. <laughs> yeah, Dunseth doesn't do what Simon Borg did and go through every single call. I mean, uh, that was controversial, right? Which he'd be he'd be doing twenty minute videos this year. Yeah, this yeah, that's true. Um, so in this one, it looked like Sabo was in an offside position when the ball was played uh, by Rob Vincent. Doesn't matter because the defender tried to play it, ends up playing it incorrectly, and the ball bounces behind him. Sabo manages to get Shuttleworth to just whiff on his dive for the ball and then just touches it home. Um, by the interpretation of the offside law as in, in 2016, that is the correct call. The defender made an attempt to play the ball, deliberate attempt to play the ball, and that is enough, even if the ball does not go where the player wants it to, if there was no intent behind the actual play of the ball. Ben, I'm on record as disagreeing with this, and I stand by that, even though it helped United in this case. Um, what do you make of this goal and of, of that particular interpretation? Uh, I think I'm fine with the interpretation. You shouldn't be rewarded for uh, and bailed out for playing a ball badly, even though you attempted to play it. If you, if you want to let it be called offside, let it be called offside, or uh, take your risk with the linesman or succeed at soccer and the defender didn't succeed at soccer and he shouldn't be bailed out for that. He played bad and he should feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I understand that argument, but at the same time, I think that if there's a ball that's impossible to play correctly and you don't know if the guy is offside or not, you should try to play the ball, but you now have an incentive not to do that and to just make a decision to stop playing, which should never be the case. Um, players should play. And anytime a, an interpretation of a rule says your best option is when in doubt might be just to not play, just to stop and avoid the ball. That, that well, strikes me as a, which that's is a perverse incentive. Risk. Right. That's a perverse incentive. And I don't like that. I, it's sort I, of like I think the downsides of this interpretation outweigh the benefits, and especially when the offside law is designed to be strict so that defenders do not camp out in their own goal and pushes them further up the field. Strict interpretation of the offside law actually promotes attacking play. Um, that's that's where I stand. Sorry, go ahead, Jason. Right. Um, well, for me, you know, you're talking about stopping uh, just abruptly, and and I think there's a certain it reminds me a little bit of if if you're running, you're trying to run past a defender and you get tugged a little bit and you're not sure the referee notices it, attackers will just stop and put their arms out and be angry. And I think a lot of times the reason it gets called is because of the reaction. Um, you know, you make it look like such a big deal that you got stopped. And in this case, stopping would be it becomes obvious that the player is now distracting you and thus you can argue playing quote-unquote the ball even though the whole concept has become so nebulous and the offside was already extraordinarily difficult to get right and now you've got an added element of is this person playing the ball which is already a judgment call it as took is a good 40 seconds for them to call this a goal after yes. a win it, which resulted in one of the silliest celebrations of all time um <laughs> where Sabre, the fans went nuts and then most people did not notice the flag, at least on the loud side. There was a, a huge celebration, and I, I, I remember That's looking down. on the loud side. I saw, I saw the flag go up, and there was, like, one other guy in line with me further down in, in 231 that also we were both sort of pointing at the referee and telling people, like, to settle down um, while beers were flying overhead and all this other stuff. And then everyone sort of had to, like, come down and get upset, and then the referee is talking to the linesman, and people started cheering again. And then Sabrio gets mobbed at midfield uh, with the Revs trying to kick off. Um, there were five or six players congratulating him as he sort of like he was over it at that point. So it was sort of sheepishly was like, yeah, I, I scored a goal. It's good. Um, yeah, it was it was a strange and silly way to end the game. Um, but uh, well, I'm glad the referees Jay talked Heaps it was, over. was plenty mad, too, which was nice. Well, screw him. <laughs> it was nice to see him really mad. Again, for the second week in a row. At least yeah. he didn't try and get into a fight with Chad Ashton like he tried to fight uh, Adrian Heath last week. Um, well, which was Chad Ashton would win. Most I mean, likely. Adrian Heath um, would probably win that. 
No, Adrian Heath is a tiny mouse person. Well, he's old. Is is you know, he's older, and I don't think Not he's as physically strong. If we're getting into who's fair. Fight. Adrian Heath, is there any way Adrian? Do you Heath think Jay Heath fights fair? He's probably got a knife on his person. Uh, I think I think Heath's got a bigger knife. He's. I think Chad Ashton would win this fight over against either of them because he's got his clipboard, um, <laughs> which he can use to deflect knife strikes. You um, should never bring a knife to a clipboard fight. Definitely not. Not or not against someone who's been carrying a clipboard for as long as Chad Ashton has, <laughs> because he like he always has his clipboard and he he claps the fans with it at the end of the game. He doesn't put it under his arm and clap like that. He uses it as a hand. Um, so as <laughs> far as I'm concerned, yeah, he's mastered the clipboard arts. Um, in ways that I can't explain. <laughs> One last piece of news before we take a quick break and welcome in Sean Spence. DC United representatives, uh, including Jason Levian, um, and then dignitaries from the District of Columbia, including Mayor Muriel Bowser, were down on Buzzard Point today for what the mayor's office called an infrastructure groundbreaking, which is a really interesting way to put demolition because it was it was a demolition of a an abandoned structure on the stadium footprint and Muriel Bowser and Jason Levian got into a backhoe and helped tear this building down um which is the ceremonial I guess start of construction or something uh for the stadium on Buzzard Point so that is moving forward and our our man Steven Streff was on site and got some quotes from Jason Levian and got some video. They're both on blackandredunited.com, so go check those out if you haven't already. With that said, stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Well, it's a it's a new season here in DC for DC United and for us here at Filibuster as we enter Season number five of the podcast. Yay, us. Happy birthday, us. Uh, we want to take time to record a new message from our sponsor, the Ehrlich Law Office. They provide discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions for those of us living in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. Sorry, Jason. You're out of luck. I, I guess I'm doomed. You, you are doomed. Um, <laughs> y- this message goes to people in Nova and DC. Your rights matter. You deserve to be free from harassment and you deserve to work. Um, Marylanders deserve none of that. I, I wouldn't go that far, Ben, but, we'll, but we'll people, in Nova and people in Northern Virginia and DC, that definitely applies to you. I can't speak to whether it applies in Maryland. Uh, if you have suffered from workplace discrimination or wage theft, uh, you're, you're dealing with some non-competition or non-solicitation litigation. Your civil rights have been violated uh, or there's been an illegal taking by the government or you have uh, disability issues or you have uh, a complaint in education law. Then the Ehrlich Law Office is who you should talk to. They're good friends of the show. Uh, I, I know the, the lawyers there personally. They are really good at their jobs and they're really good people. Uh, and you should check them out for a free consultation. Go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United will take on the Chicago Fire this weekend, Saturday, 5 o'clock Eastern, on your local Sinclair station and MLS Live. The Fire have just one win this year to go with three draws and two losses. Lots of draws. It's a very Chicago Fire way to go about things. Surprisingly decent-looking win. Their one win, though, over first-place Philadelphia Union. I had to triple-check that, but it is true. Very weird. Philly's in first place in the East, uh, and Chicago beat them. So multiple things are weird about that. Uh, Also weird is that the Fire scored three goals in their first game and have three goals in the five games since then. To help us try to make sense about that, or at least make fun of it, we have Sean Spence from Hot Time in Old Town, SB Nation's Chicago Fire blog. He's an old friend of the show. Sean, welcome back to Filibuster. Uh, thank you for having me back. And I, I, I doubt that I'm going to make any sense of this, but hopefully it will, it will seem a lot funnier once we're done. <laughs> you know the drill here. What are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking uh, Bush Signature Copper Lager, which is notable for being both affordable and rather strong. Okay. 
Um, <laughs> we we approve that message. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm the one drinking wild turkey, and yet you're outdoing me on that front. I I'm sorry. Oh, don't apologize. <laughs> Never apologize. You should always show up the host. So the fire did score three goals in their first game against NYCFC. Um, and then a few weeks later had a scoreless draw against NYCFC. What's up with Chicago's lack of production recently? Um, well, I would say that they like the offense hasn't produced much of anything over the course of the season. Um, they did score three goals against New York city, but if you look at the three goals, it's not like they moved the ball into scoring position in an efficient way. And, you know, I mean, it was, it was kind of David, Akam was very fast and we, you know, we, we banged a couple goals in, um, and being two goals down kind of right off the get makes it take, kind of takes the pressure off. You know, everybody's loosey goosey. We're trying to score, score, score. Um, uh, I will say that um, you know they learned some things right uh, uh, right away. They learned that Jalmera was probably not going to be the solution at center back. Um, we also learned that Velko Poundovic is really willing to to really shuffle the deck tactically. Uh, you know, uh, I haven't seen a halftime tactical shift like that from the Chicago Fire in five six years. Probably where the very first game they go from a, a kind of a four four one one. To a three-five-two kind of five-three-two hybrid system, you know, at halftime. Um, so that was, you know, remarkable as a fire fan. Like, oh, <laughs> somebody's willing to like actually shift things around on the on the chalkboard. That's nice. Um, unfortunately, all that shifting hasn't mattered much. There's just not enough talent. Even with that lack of production, it's not like Chicago has been shipping a lot of goals since that first match either. You yeah. had three straight clean sheets coming into last weekend, uh, which was a two-one loss to the Montreal Impact. Right? Um, is is defense well, it, pretty good? Are you doing a, a DC United style defense first, offense never uh, kind of approach, or or what? Um, I, I think it's a couple of things. Yeah, it's it is. I, I think that you know the defense really fell apart at the end of the last uh, last year and a lot of the people who were watching the team were kind of you know bummed out about how calamitously bad the defense was so it seems like that's really been job one this year also i think if you're velko panovich you're looking at the attacking talent you have available and you're saying eh, we're not going to score a ton of goals so I, i've got to get these get the defensive cohesion together and they've started to develop that the Kappelhoff uh Johan Kappelhoff is a guy they got from the Netherlands uh played for Groningen for years he's like 25 um so he's a he's he's not a, a world beater center back but he's a, a good solid sensible Dutch center back who can play with the ball at his feet a little bit and likes to run up into midfield which is always very exciting and then we drafted this kid John Campbell after you know uh, Nelson Rodriguez's kind of ego show uh, at, at the draft. <laughs> um, they did draft John Campbell, and, and the kid, you know, he's the best center back in the draft, I think. He really has looked fantastic right away. Uh, very calm with the ball at his feet. Does it, you know, the uh, what I always called the oh shit face, which is kind of the, the defining feature of the Chicago Fire defense in the last like few years he just doesn't get that you know if you're pressing him okay he'll step around you he'll find a pass you know he, he doesn't freak out and and he looks really polished for a 23 year old so so that has really been great um uh you know the team has clearly spent a lot of time trying to make itself organized and they and they are organized. They're difficult to break down. They fall back into two banks of four very easily and comfortably. Like they look like they understand that they uh, the amount of space they want and all that. Um, but when they when they succeed in turning the ball over, it just all kind of turns into a shit show. Uh, Sean, I, I guess the the first question I've got since we're talking about a team that's under not just new management higher up, but also a new head coach uh, in cool. Panovic. Um, how different is it watching a Panovic team versus a Frank Yallop team? <laughs> well, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it's so different. Um, like it really felt to me like, especially last year, I don't know how quickly it happened, but at some point Yallop just sort of was like, okay, I'm done with this. We'll see how long it goes. Um, it didn't seem like the team like really, you know, 
even a third of the way into the season, had an idea how they were going to kind of catch themselves or what were they going to, what's their next move? You know, it was just kind of like, well, shit, that didn't work. See you next year. Um, and, uh, you know, so Poundovich is, you know, is in a different position. Like the thing I was most encouraged about the Poundovich hiring is not necessarily that I saw something in his resume. That, I mean, sure, he won the under 20 World Cup and that's great. Um, maybe, you know, maybe that's great. Uh, but what I can see is that he's a young guy with a lot to lose. And, um, you know, if you're going to come work for Andrew Houtman, there's sure there's an amount of, you know, corporal pophilia going on there that necessarily is part of the job. But um, maybe a guy who really has, you know, his kind of, you know, his reputation on the line is going to be able to work within these strictures. And I think we're, you know, right now, uh, I think that what I'm seeing is that my hopes that way are, are, you know, going this, going the way of my hopes for most everything generally in this world. It's just like, eh, no, <laughs> that's not working either. Uh, I, <laughs> so I, I've been interested in seeing some of the choices that he's made. Uh, I think maybe the big surprise, at least at the start of the season, though, it hasn't really come up since is that he sort of very quietly but very authoritatively dropped Sean Johnson for Matt Lampson, who yeah. I think during the preseason even it seemed like Lampson was the other guy. Like Johnson was the starter and Lampson right. was a guy they picked up to fill out their goalkeeping ranks. And right. Lampson didn't start the season well, but he, I mean I haven't heard too much about uh, him being a mess since maybe the first couple games where he wasn't necessarily giving up goals on his own, but he wasn't right. doing a great job either. Um, how do you guys I, feel about him so far? You know, I, I like the kid. I think he, um, you know, I, I think, you know, you know, here's the thing, like I'm not writing as much for hot time. So I don't, and, and, and the club doesn't speak to me at all. Like I'm persona non grata. So, so I don't know, you know, I, I can't ask any mm -hmm. of the people involved, but what, it, what it looks like to me is I really feel like, you know, Poundovich wanted to, wanted to press high and keep possession and all, you know, he wanted to play modern football. Um, and he really felt like Sean Johnson was not going to be able to handle the ball at his feet at all. And Lampson looked, a, especially in, in, in preseason, looked a lot better with the ball at his feet than Johnson did. And I think that's what kind of made the decision for Velko is like, okay, well, you know, Johnson's, he's got, you know, there's, there's, a, like, I, I wrote about the, like, the last thing I wrote for Hot Time was about the, the tendency in this offseason to get rid of anybody who had any kind of connection to the fire as it existed prior to Hauptman's, you know, mm -hmm. Borgization. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and Johnson is the last one of those guys in a lot of ways. You know, he's been there for several years. He was kind of brought in, uh, he was the, he was the, uh, you know, safety net mm -hmm. the year that they decided that John Bush, you know, right. yeah, you're the team MVP, but we're going to, you're out. And uh, we're going to, you've got, what's his name? Andrew. Yeah, He's they went with Dykstra. Dykstra. Dykstra, right. Yeah, Andrew Dykstra was going to revolutionize goalkeeping. Um, and Sean Johnson was the third guy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when when Dykstra kind of shot down his leg, it was like, whoa, let's try this guy. And, he, and he's, you know, he's a great shot stopper. So he looked amazing, you know, right off the get. Um, you know, I don't have a problem with him starting Lampson. I don't feel like Sean Johnson is an elite MLS goalkeeper. I feel like he is an elite shot stopper for any league in the world, but the holes in his game, you know, are, are there for everyone to see. And like, you know, um, you have to kind of play around it. Mm -hmm. So and somewhere if, there are several DC United fans <laughs> who are dancing because a Chicago fire fan finally admitted that. What? There, there. You know, there's been the long running parallel. It's Jurgen's fault. It's Jurgen's fault. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah, yeah it's you know, I, think, I think there was a point. I think there was a point a couple of years ago where you'd say, and oh, they're fairly similar, but it seems like Hamid, like Johnson, really has leveled off, yeah. and Hamid has continued to grow, grow, grow. Um, and I'm really interested to see. Like, this is the first time he's had to shut it down and watch the game for a while. And I really have a feeling that when Hamid comes back, his position is going to be on point, and he's going to be like elite for you guys. I mean, um, given given that after his cap against Ireland, it, the the story was that he had watched that game like 50 times in the next month mm -hmm. that came after that, right? Um, right. because it was the off season and he had little else to do, and also because the U.S. gave up four goals, so he was like, "I'm not doing that." 
Um, so, <laughs> so just watch the most painful game tape you can over imagine. And over. <laughs> just keep watching it for improvement. <laughs> um, I, I guess looking uh, at the other end of the field, I've been really interested in seeing that um, Cochise has been moved around from the normal role that he played under Yallop to he's played as a, as a six, he's played as a 10, um, which was amazing. When I, when I saw that, I was like, there's gotta be a lineup error. Like that's got to be that there was a disconnect yeah, no. with the the Twitter <laughs> account, and that we'll see some other thing happening. Uh, but that isn't what happened. He he was up there. Um, what is what's going on with that? It's it's just been strange seeing him moved around so much on a team that has Matt Polster and brought in John Goosens for those roles around him. Right. I you know. I mean, it's so hard to know because I'm you know I don't get in on the conference call anymore, and I can't ask Velko like. Really, what are you thinking? I mean, you know, now, I, as I understand it, like the first thing we heard about Cochise when he came over mm-hmm. was that he was he was more of a ten. Okay, that he was an attacking player, and it was really I think seeing him in preseason, like this guy's not a ten unless 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 he was playing in a system where he was a deep lying playmaker and he was just like firing through balls to wingers or something. Like I just can't see how he would be the guy who provides that ball. But okay, you know, it's a different culture, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that and then I think you know I think the Velcro is just kind of like well I mean how much worse could it be Let's try someone up there. Goosens isn't match fit. Um, Mikey Stevens is is would be a fantastic player on a like a diamond four 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 two team where he could be, play a pure shuttler role and just just kind of be part of the glue. Mm-hmm. Um, but like he really shrinks from the opportunity to make a difference. Um, so, you know, it's just a psychological thing. Like, all right, well, that's who he is, and we can work with what he is. Um, but they don't, you know, they, I mean, we we sold the playmaker to Montreal. So, eh. yeah. Um, now, the, the funny yeah, thing we is, were, we weren't going to bring it up. Yeah. But we're glad this you is something did. That, I, that I've noticed really, a, a, like, very dramatically in the last few months is that there's a significant portion of every fan base that no matter how dumb, or ridiculous the move is in they will like they will adopt a kind of knowing person like there's this kind of really strong tendency to want to side with the power you know and that like I've, I've seen that in our like the the fan base of the fire like people kind of all of a sudden are like you know harry ship wasn't all that and maybe they what are you talking about i mean you know <laughs> He's not the greatest attacking midfielder in the history of American sports, but I mean, he's really good and he's free. Yes. He doesn't cost you any cap money. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Have you ever played football manager? Seriously, just play <laughs> it for like 10 minutes. And you will see why he matters. Cause like, he's free. In, in, a, in a salary cap league, I mean, any free player it's you good. have that's good enough to start, whether or not they're right. a world beater, if they're good enough to start, right. you can use that money elsewhere and be awesome, you know, spend your big money on the back line and then, you know, whatever, but you know, you work around it in MLS. You don't get the luxury of being like, well, this guy's good, but he's not that good. So screw it. Right. Um, Right. Like, okay. Let's say Johan Goosens is 20% better than Harry ship. Like mm -hmm. that's significant in world football, but in an MLS, it's not enough because Harry ship costs zero and Johan Goosens costs 178,000. And that 200,000 is coming out of the the cap. You know, what do you, eh, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I mean, even then, have Harry Ship on your bench, right? He's a, he'd be a great he's still free <laughs> super right. sub. Yeah, he's still yeah. free. He's a free super sub. Yeah, I, I, you know, that's what he did. I, honestly, I think he'd be better suited to that. Like the mm. problem with Harry is that he's just not. He does not have the physical wherewithal to grind on you for ninety minutes week after week. He's not like what he did at Notre Dame that was he was really great at was coming on the last twenty yes. minutes and make a difference. And, you know, because he was fresh and had, and like, the other thing I think that people don't talk about is the way that fatigue, d- like, dims your kind of perceptions and intellectual ability. And that's where Harry's special. And so when he gets tired, he's just another guy who has a good touch, mm-hmm. you know. And when he's fresh, he's he's seeing the whole picture right. and, and he's imagining things. And then you can kind of see, like, those ideas just drain out of him as he's just like, uh, <laughs> you know, this is a lot of running, man. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm... I'm, I'm all over the place here. What was the question? <laughs> you, you covered it. You covered it. It kind of oh, okay. doesn't matter at this point. Um, <laughs> I guess my last question is on um, – I think it, it one thing it does look like Poundovic seems to have – one player it looks like he's figured out what to do with a little more than 
last year's multiple coaches did was Kennedy Igboananike, um, yeah. who seems much more effective this year cutting in from the left than he was as a striker or even out on the right. I right. think when he came, he was supposedly mostly a right winger who could play up front. Um, right. But now getting him out on the left, he's got, was it three goals already? Um, yeah. And he's just, yeah. he's just generally looked, at least to me, more well-rounded, but I haven't watched every fire game. So I was hoping you could maybe explain what the change is that other than just putting him on the left and seeing what happens, what, what has grounded that ability to play better out of him? Um, well, I would say, I'd say a couple of things, it, it, you know, it's always complex. What makes a player good. And I think that, um, Pownovich has motivated him more sufficiently. Like he really seems like he, you know, Kennedy, every game he's every minute he's played this year, he has put in a shift defensively. Like he's really, he really causes problems in the, in the pressing game. He runs at you hard. He makes, you know, he, he just kind of, he's relentless and runs at those defenders in a way that makes them have to react. Um, you know, I think he may have been kind of hamstrung by the fact that he was brought in by David with David Akam, who is, you know, much more talented and plays in that same inside left. So Kennedy got shoved out to the right, um, where he's not as effective because he wants to play on that slant. Um, now, uh, you know, I, it'd be interesting to see how they. I, I have a feeling you're going to see Kennedy on the left and Akam on the right when Akam comes back, um, unless they bench Gilberto, which is the other you know, the other designated player mm-hmm. who's terrible. Um, poor old you know, so, yeah. <laughs> No matter where he goes, he'll be poor yeah. old Gil. He'll never get a lick of that brass ring. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, man. I, you know, uh, Kennedy, like his, his effort has never been a problem, but it's been, it's really, his work rate has jumped up a notch this year. And, and, you know, he's finishing, some of the chances you like, you know, I mean, last year he just didn't finish anything, mm-hmm. you know, they, they really would create some chances for him and he'd golf it into the eighth row and be, and it was like so frustrated, darn, you know? Um, so, <laughs> so we, we, we already answered a little bit of my question, but I do want to get back to, uh, Gilberto. Um, how important is he to the system? And if he's not playing well, is there anybody who, can replace him and take that role. Yeah, no, there's not. There's no target strikers on this roster besides Gilberto. And really, the way they're playing, they they want that. They want a point of the spear. They want somebody who's a reference point. Um, the the I, you know I will say that I think he I think he understands what he's trying to do. It's not like he's just running around out there and is clueless. I mean, he he knows his role. He makes good runs. He doesn't check too deep. You know, he like he keeps the spacing. Understands the shape. Um, but then it all just falls apart when it's time to like roll the ball in the back of the net. Like he just like, again, he just gacks. And, but you know, at this point, that's who he is. Like, you know, like we've seen this for how many years with Toronto and now us, like that's just who he is. And, and it, you know, it feels like it's a little like disingenuous for, for, the fire or us to expect any more from him <laughs> because it's just, you know, like, look, how many, how many times you have to see this for, you know, that's what I am, you know, like, uh, you know, you knew what I was when you got me. So, uh, you know, we're not going to fire, not going to win any games really this year again. And Gilberto's part of that problem, but he seems like a decent guy and he works fairly hard. So I don't want to hate on him. <laughs> 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 I, another guy who, another guy who's pretty famous in Chicago for not really putting the ball in the net is is Patrick Niarco, who we got from you uh, this yep. off season, uh, joining Chris Rolf. They almost combined for a beautiful goal this I, I past week. Yeah. Um, Rolf got held up a little bit. Probably a smart defensive play. Some of it's Rolf not quite being a hundred percent of who he is. But I just want to let you go on for about a minute about how much you miss those two guys. Well, you know, I was looking at something uh, before I came on here. I think those two had 480 career appearances for the fire. Um, and the current, uh, current group has something like 270. something. <laughs> that was um, that to pull. <laughs> so yeah, like, you know, there's just nobody left who represents, you know, the fire that we uh, <laughs> come to know and love. Um, you know, Patty is, uh, as honest a player as you can find. Like he doesn't, 
he doesn't take any shortcuts. He doesn't take, give any excuses. Um, and you know, I, I think that you guys, you like it, it, Ben Olson, if he's trying to build like a character group, he got, he got the two that I would have picked from the fire, you know? So, I mean, they're, you know, warriors and good guys who will, you know, you know, all that, all that kind of world war one English football <laughs> stuff. They got all that, you know, like, you know, scribe, you know, whatever, screw your will to the sticking point or whatever, you know, like, like that's, that's who they are. They're, like, they're also but, pretty good at soccer when they're on I, their games too. I, I gotta say that right now, as I'm, as I'm sitting here talking to you, my wife is standing like eight feet away from me holding a Detroit city scarf that says city till I die nice. uh, on it. Um, it's a great because, story. Detroit. Yeah, city. We're, we're part of Northern guard, my wife and nice. I, so, you know, yeah. for our listeners, if who you, don't ever, know, if you want to come to Detroit, you know, we can hook you up. Awesome. <laughs> for our listeners who don't know Detroit city, they're what NPSL. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so basically an amateur team but their their fans raised $75,000 to to make the team happen and to to help um, the stadium happen and yeah. it's a really cool story. Oh sorry, sorry, 700,000. Yeah. Sorry, I shortchanged you by an order of magnitude. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, it's like 75 grand. What the hell? No, 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 no. 700, almost <laughs> 700. That's the beard bill. Yeah. Um, It's a really cool story and you should go read about it. My last question for you, Sean, is not about Detroit City, although at some point we may have to talk to you about that. Um, How would you game plan for Panovich's fire at this point? Um, I would probably pack the midfield. Uh, I would... Okay, assuming that's not an option because we know Ben Olsen does not pack the midfield. I mean, you know... I would go at us with patience, you know, like you're not going to win the game in the first 10 minutes. You're not probably not going to lose it in the first 10 minutes to this, you know, to the clown car. Um, so, you know, know you're in like, I don't think, you know, the problem like with DC United does not have any problem with trying to convince guys they're going to need to grind, you know, <laughs> which is, I think what you got to tell people about the fire, like they're going to make it hard on you. They're going to make, you know, like he's going to find Velco is good at finding the, the simple, easy things that you want to do and just saying, nope, and that's not happening. So you're gonna have to find another way. Um, you know, I, I would go after Harrington or Vincent, whichever one of them is on the left. Um, because you can make some hay there. Um, and, uh, you know, Campbell and Kappelhoff have looked good, but, you know, the, the late runner in the box is going to be a problem because Polster doesn't doesn't check it a lot of times, doesn't pick it up. Kosic is playing farther up, so he lost that kind of responsibility. Uh, you know, that's what I would look for is, you know, maybe like Rolf or maybe Acosta coming on a late run. Um, that's That's where I would look. All right, maybe even Nick DeLeon makes that late run. Oh, man, Nick DeLeon. That's right, he's playing in the mill now. Yeah. Very exciting. Sean, thanks for coming on the show, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Um, I formerly was the editor of Hot Time in the Old Town, uh, a Chicago Fire blog. I am still around uh, now. You can find me there. Or you can uh, you know, find me on Facebook and mock me relentlessly. I'm, I'm good with that. And you <laughs> you've, got, you've got an interesting <laughs> Twitter handle. Too. Uh, Shield Chafing. The uh, he's a, he's a dude from Beowulf. Um, I I okay. So the internet was kind of newish, right? I was translating Beowulf in my spare time because I'm that kind of nerd, and I was like, I got to decide on a username. Uh, okay, and like I made you know that was my like Yahoo handle or something, and you, know, like you just stuck with it because literally nobody else chose it. Right. Exactly. You're like, okay, well, I got this name. No one else chose. It, but I guess I'll stick with that. We we right. have a tweet with the correct spelling on our timeline. So if you're listening to this and you want to know how to spell it, it is on our timeline for the, <laughs> the podcast Twitter account. So it's in, it's in there and you can see it because otherwise it's going to be tricky. It's not you will not, not spell, spell it correctly. Yes, it's not spelled yeah. the way you think it is. Yeah. Shield chafing or skyled chafing. <laughs> <laughs> There's some hints on how how it's spelled, but you're still not going to get it right. Find us at the easy to spell blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu and at blackandredu. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com, especially if you want to join the Ehrlich Law Office as a sponsor of the show. Find us on iTunes, <laughs> yes. find us on Stitcher, find us on SoundCloud. Most of all, when you're at the bar this Saturday, tell a friend about the show. We'd really appreciate it if you did that. Find so, us. 
for Jason and Ben and Sean. Thank you once again. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. I'm Adam. We'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, sweet prince. <laughs>